Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, welcome back to Oz Business Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company just gone midday Eastern. Of course, that is time for the call where we look at over the next 60 minutes or so, look at 10 stocks suggested by you. We put those stocks to two experts on our panel for uh, analysis, guidance, judging, and uh, we tell you exactly what you should be doing with those stocks. Delighted to have on the team today on the desk, Mark Mullen from Team Invest. Mark, good to see you. Good to see you. It's good to see you too. <laughs> uh, and it's before lunch. He hasn't been drinking. Uh, Scott Phillips from Motley Fool. Yes, it's before lunch for him. Thank goodness. How are you, Scott? You well? Gosh, you, Mark. I'm very well, thank you. Also haven't been drinking yet, but uh, it's tough in somewhere, so you know. Uh, Scott, how's earnings season? been for you finished officially yesterday a couple of stragglers today how did you find it not a moment too soon look I, you know i'm optimist by nature koshi I, I was pretty pleased at how well companies survived earnings now to some degree that was frankly because they'd watered down expectations so far they couldn't possibly underachieve by the same token it does seem that in a large part and for most of the economy not the whole economy the stimulus money is working it's actually doing its job right so that's good for the economy it's good for people so far, it seems pretty good for businesses too, as I said, with exceptions, and we'll talk about those. But the market's up 38% since 23rd of March. It's a, a heck of a ride, and uh, and to some degree, earnings season justified that rise. Now, of course, plenty of time to come, but overall, pretty good. Yeah. Mark, how are you finding it? Uh, well, for Tim, Tim Invest companies, has been good. In fact, yep. uh, quite a few of them, like Nick Scarly and AX1 and so on, the retailers who I assume would get smashed, yeah. uh, haven't. And they've sort of, not yeah. long of them come out with record earnings. Yeah, yeah. Now, partly that's been... Job, JobKeeper was huge. Oh, that's right. Them. No, JobKeeper's definitely helped. Yeah. You know, no question about it. So I think the difficulty is going to be backing that up now. So yeah. uh, they've actually had a, probably an artificial boost yeah. Yeah, because of this. So well, the, real, the real test will be the next quarter now, I suppose. Yeah, the yeah. Next half. Next half anyway. So that, that government assistance did prove to be a big sugar hit. Oh, absolutely. Uh, which we needed. Well, I think, that was I think meant consumption to actually went up. So there was yep. more money in circulation from through, through JobSeeker and JobKeeper than there would have been if they hadn't, nothing had happened. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. a lot of that's obviously been spent. Yep. So, and not to mention the superannuation withdrawals. Yeah, that's quite big as well. So there's a lot of a lot of actual stimulation, if you like, or cash being put in people's pockets. Yeah, and they've spent it. Now it starts to settle down. Well, and now, the, now it'll get interesting, won't it? The reality of yeah. a recession. Uh, of course, national accounts figures out tomorrow. Um, before we get into your ten stocks, let's look at a stock of the day that uh, that I pick out. An interesting one, I reckon. Regional Express, Rex Airlines manages to ride out the pandemic. Total revenue landing at $321 million, up $4 million compared to the same period last year. Passenger revenue fell $65 million in the last quarter of the last financial year. However, thanks to government handouts, the airline posted a small underlying profit before tax of $250,000. Now, Executive Chairman Lim Kim Hai says he expects regional aviation to fully recover from the pandemic within two years, well ahead of the rest of the industry. And of course, they're buying a small fleet of jets to fly between Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane as a direct competitor to Qantas, Jetstar and Virgin. In fact, they bought some of the Virgin jets to uh, do that. So Rex, the regional airline, getting into the major capital city truck routes. Uh, Mark, what do you reckon of Rex? And, and this really taking advantage of, uh, of the problems with Virgin and Qantas at the moment. Oh, absolutely. I think um, airline, well, if you look at the industry as a start, the airline industry is a shocker yep. you know, from an investor's point of view. And in fact, it's one of the few negative industries where there's more money's gone into uh, capital and share, in, in share purchases than has ever come out yep. in profit. So wow. uh, the other one that's uh, a negative industry is gold mining yep. in Australia. <laughs> anyway, so you're, you're already, it's already a difficult industry. It's very capital intensive. I think yep. Rex is in an, in an interesting position. It's got quite uh, strong management and they, they clearly have an opportunity to potentially take advantage on uh, the dis dislocation in the market. Yeah. But it's, it's a bit of a speculation really because whether they'll be successful in doing that 
and Qantas has always been very, very tough in um, yep. you know, reducing, slashing prices to whatever it needs to do to kill competitors. I mean, Rex had an argument with them with trade practices, I think, uh, based on Kangaroo Island and other routes mm. where Qantas said, we didn't do anything wrong. All we yeah. do is we just discount the fares to run you out of business. Yeah. <laughs> so so that, you know, they're, still the, they're still the gorilla. Yep. So I don't know whether they'll uh, be successful in achieving it. But look, you know, good luck to them. Uh, I don't know how you'd invest in it, though. Cause right. It's uh, you know it's like maybe it could be yep. you know it's it's speculative. Yep. In my okay. Opinion. All right, uh, Scott. What do you think of think of Rex? A, a similar vein, I suppose. If you get away from the big majors, one of the most successful airlines in Australia is Alliance, isn't it? But it's more a, a mining mining services business, I suppose. Just sticks with its knitting. But what do you reckon of Rex? Yeah, it's a capacity game, Kashi. And if you're in the contract business and you can you can kind of defray your costs as, as volumes rise and fall, you're in a pretty good place. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you can just on charge your customers based on what you know they're going to need, that contract aviation is great. Unfortunately for Rex, not only in that business, a little bit of contract business, mostly not. Um, it does have some government deals in New South Wales in particular to fly certain regional routes. The problem is the share price is exactly where it was 10 years ago. I just did the, I looked at the chart. Um, it's been a tough time. Look, and that, frankly, is not a bad result for Rex. I don't. Look, these guys are a really good operational business. Yeah. The problem is, as Warren Buffett talked about, you know, if you put a, a management reputation for good management in an industry with a reputation for terrible economics, it's the reputation of the business that remains intact. Uh, aviation is a terrible business. And just time and time again, notwithstanding the fact that COVID was clearly a black swan, um, but time and time again, airlines find new ways of losing a fortune for their owners. Um, getting bigger is often, you know, the best way to get smaller again. You, you get bigger, you might <laughs> pick up yeah, too much. Um, and then all of a sudden you're in trouble. I, I look, I, I wouldn't touch Rex. I have to say I have owned it in the past for a short time. I've, I've repented from that sin. Uh, this I'm talking probably seven, eight years ago now. Um, and I, got, I think I bought it and sold it for about the same price it is now because that's what the price has done. Very, right. very, very tough way to make a quid. And you so, remember, uh, your lesson. remember Richard Branson said, how do you yes. become a millionaire? Yeah. Start off as a billionaire and buy an airline. <laughs> and, and Buffett's just sold out of the US airlines completely and for a loss of about 10 billion. Right, and okay. So even, and he said that he once said at one of the AGMs that he'd, um, uh, he'd signed up for a, a lifeline type service that any time he wanted to invest in an airline, he'd ring them up and they'd talk him down. <laughs> you know, and, so on, and then he still did it again. Right. Every time he does, he loses, he's lost money. Right, okay. All right, so let's learn from that experience. <laughs> right, let's get into the uh, the stocks that you've suggested. And Scott, Stephen wants a, uh, a view on West Farmers, sort of the big, uh, uh, it's in retail, it's in energy. It owns, of course, Kmart, Officeworks, Target, Bunnings, Um Someone once put it to me, it's Australia's biggest uh, listed private equity business, um, posted a net profit of $1.7 billion in uh, 2020, uh, barely 31% of the $5.5 billion it raked in uh, during the previous financial year. So uh, um, they hived off coals. Uh, what do you think of Wes Farmers? Yeah, Kashi, you've sold my thunder with all those numbers. Important to remember, of course, that that coal sale did give them one-off gain. So the profit's yeah. down meaningfully. Underlying profit, though, was still up. You should look at West Farmers two ways. The first is it's a retail business and a, and a kind of chemicals industrials business. The second is, as you kind of alluded to, it, it is Australia's largest, if not private equity business, at least largest conglomerate investment company. And what that allows it to do is go and put money where it sees opportunity. The Officeworks business and Bunnings far, far more particularly are spectacularly good businesses. Now, both those have gained enormously from the pandemic. Of course, we all rushed to complete home projects. You guys know well my, uh, my efforts there. <laughs> yep. But also moving to, uh, but, yeah, people moving to home, working from home, Officeworks, you know, a spectacular amount of trade with people buying desks and chairs and computers and stationery. That was, you know, that's a one-off, obviously. West Farmers, though, has a really long reputation for being really sensible, solid, capital allocators for the longest time i'm not sure if it's still right uh they, they promised i think it was the words like a good return or, or a sensible performance or something they really really do under promise and try and over deliver <clears throat> now the coles deal by the way in hindsight was probably a bad one they probably didn't make a lot of money for their shareholders over the time they owned coles but overall these guys have a really good long-term reputation of being sensible thoughtful capital allocators as well as at the moment at least having good retail businesses so you kind of got to take two looks at it because what they're doing now may not be what they're doing in five years time if they buy and sell a whole lot of companies on the way through. I like West Farmers. I think they're really sensibly, stably run. I think it's one of the very few decent bottom draw companies left in Australia. Um, mm. We think about you know some of the ones that were supposed to be. I mean, once upon a time, maybe it was BHP or Qantas or News Corp or something else. 
you know, even the banks have had a torrid time of late. I think West Farm is really, really good long-term bottom draw stock. Not going to shoot the lights out, not going to streak the market by any amount because they're just not in that business. They don't have investee companies that have that potential. Um, but I think they're a decent, good long-term performer. I'd be a buyer for a conservative or, or you know, kind of risk-averse investor uh, to add to their portfolio. It's a really good cornerstone stock. Hmm. Mark? Uh, yeah, it's a difficult one because of the, it is a conglomerate. You know, so they, they're going, they trade. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I agree with Scott. Coles was a disaster for West Farmers. I mean, they, they bought it just before the uh, crash in uh, the, was it 80, 80, when they bought it? It was just before right. the music stopped and they paid yep. megabucks for it. But they right. managed to fix it up, you know, uh, rebuild the whole thing and then sell it off. So I agree that they're very good capital allocators, but they're in mining, all sorts of things. It's so very yep. difficult to mm. really uh, have a handle on it. You're really trusting the management yeah. uh, when you buy it. We're showing it returning about 5% return at the current price, which, yeah, is not that bad. Yeah. I mean, for me, if I was going to buy it, which I'm not, I'd want to be about eight in the mid-18s or something. It's currently 24. Right. So, okay. you know, it's not, it, but it, it, is a, it is a very solid, reliable uh, company for sure. Right. Just not something that appeals to me. Right. Okay. Um, and for the size of it, it's incredibly entrepreneurial, yep. isn't it? It's amazing. Yeah, um, yeah 54 billion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. just massive. I think they've still got 15% of coals, I think. Right. After okay. Okay. And what was the other thing I read about coals? Oh, to Afterpay's capitalisation uh, went through coals uh, this week. Yeah. Now, to me, that's. Crazy stuff. I, I remember when when Ecorp, I remember yeah. old Ecorp yeah. in the dot, dot com boom had a bigger capitalisation with Woolworths. Sort of yeah. sort of reminded me of it. Uh, yeah. Well, it's like uh, Tesla. Yeah, it's yeah, got bigger capitalisation than about ten of the major automakers around the world. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> yeah. All right, okay. let's get on to our our second stock suggested by Jordan, uh, private health insurance group Medibank Private. Um, it's um, just released its full year results like, <clears throat> like everyone else, uh, down a bit going forward. Mark, what do you think of that Medibank private? Uh, it, it, it's, it's okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite consistent. Its earnings are very stable. Yeah. Um, return on equity is good, doesn't have any debt. Uh, so it all looks good on those metrics. The biggest problem is that the uh, returns showing negative at the moment at the uh, current price uh, for us. Uh, so the PE at the moment is on uh, 23.7. It's just too high for its, uh, uh, for its earnings. Right. So uh, for, uh, for us, we'd want to buy it at, uh, uh, what would we want to buy it for? Uh, it's currently... It's about so 270 yeah, at two, the moment. 270. We're, we'd be down at about the 170, $1.75 oh. or something to get so a 10% return. Pullback. Right. Yeah, so the return, okay. the return's slightly negative for us at the moment on a margin yeah. safety. But look, it's, it's okay. For, for my uh, money, if I... If I Wanted to invest in the uh, the area. We prefer um, NHF, uh, right. NIB, NIB, yeah, yeah, which is a lot yeah. smaller, but yeah. it's much more entrepreneurial, and they're yeah. actually growing um, against a headwind where the market overall for private health insurance is contracting. Mm. So uh, that'd be my preference. So why are they growing? Oh, because they're good entrepreneurs, and yeah, right. the Mark Fitzgibbon's a brilliant CEO, and he's yeah. he's developed yeah, you know, he does a lot of uh, white label health funds like Qantas, and he's done right. lots of them. Yep, um, and yeah, very very good at yeah ma- finding niches where he can make some extra dollars and right. for shareholders. Yeah, he's impressed. We've had him on Ausbiz a couple of yeah. times, and he's really impressive. Yes, uh, Scott, what do you think of Medibank Private? Yeah, I'll actually start with the NIB one just because I want to throw my two bobs in. Uh, Mark Fitzgibbon for mine is probably the most underrated CEO of a large Australian company. Um, so I'll, I'll join that wow, chorus. that's a big call. Um, yeah, well, underrated, right? So we don't, we don't talk about him a lot. We talk about a whole lot of other people. Yeah. The business yeah. he's built at NIB is, is really, really impressive. Not only to, to, to Mark's point, as he managed to, to grow entrepreneurially inside health insurance, but I think what their biggest potential growth is they've moved outside that, right? So they moved outside regulated health insurance. And this gets topical in a second on Medibank Private. It's moved across to New Zealand. It's moved to incoming workers, incoming students. It tried medical tourism, which didn't work, and they pulled it out. They're trying to find ways outside the stayed, solid, frankly, limited growth potential Australian health insurance business to find growth. I think that's probably one of the key things, which take it to NIB now for the question, because it wasn't about NIB, but Medibank Private. Um, and, I, and Medibank doesn't have that much growth potential. I think realistically, it's sailing into headwinds for private health insurance in Australia. It's expensive at 23 or 24 times earnings. And here's the problem. The health insurance market is a really, really terrible business, right? Because you've got, you've got your, the government effectively limiting the range of increases, premium increases you could put through any one given year. And so if you think about any business you're buying, if they've got you know, limited growth in volume, 
and they've got limited growth in pricing and therefore margins, you kind of go to say to yourself, so what am I buying here and why am I buying it? And frankly, more importantly, why am I paying 23 or 24 times earnings for something with those limitations? I, I don't know any business you'd want to pay that sort of multiple for yeah. that had limitations on volume and limitations on price. Medibank has both. I'd give it a, a, a big wide berth, that one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it is so politically sensitive too. It's an industry yeah. where everyone has a say in it and politicians listen. So, yep. Why, why go through that hassle? Uh, Scott, Nikki wants a view on Medusa Mining, uh, gold producer, projects in the, in the Philippines, um, made profits um, in the last reporting, um, reporting season, uh, which, you know, in this gold environment, if a gold producer can't produce a profit in this environment, <laughs> you, you've got to really take a good look at it. What do you think of Medusa? Yeah, you're exactly right, Kosh. You, 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 Mark, and I have talked about gold before, so I, I know how this one's going to go, and you guys know how this one's going to go, but let's let's kick it off anyway. Um, but look, I mean, it's right, yeah, operating pretty well. The shares are up two and a half fold in the space of, I want to say, six, nine months, something like that, a really good performance. But it's on the back of that gold price. And where the gold price goes, goes the miners' profits and go the share price. And so you can kind of, you know, yes, operationally, they have to keep their you know, I's dotted and T's crossed. But there is no mining operator in the world that can withstand the vicissitudes of, of mining prices, of commodity prices. And so producer is exactly that position. Now, for me, then you've got to say, OK, well, if you want to own producer, I'm thinking about buying it. What's my view on the gold price? And I think Mark will have a different view or I expect he will. He has in the past. Uh, but uh, but my, my view on gold is simply that with all of the confidence coming back into the physical economy and the share market over time, if I'm right and the economy finds its way back to sustainable growth, at that point, we should expect to see the gold price fall. Now, I have no view on short or medium term share prices or commodity prices for that matter. But long term, while, while the gold price is at an all time high or near an all time high, if I'm, a, if I'm an investor in gold, I'm doing it counter cyclically. That is, I'm buying when it's low, I'm selling when it's, when it's high because these things tend to move in cycles and the gold price has done the same. So if I'm right, and I may not be, uh, and again, Mark may have a different perspective, but if I'm right, uh, the time to sell both the commodity and the miners shares are when the prices are you know, riding high. It doesn't mean they can't go higher. Again, I have no view on the short to medium term movement of the price or the, of the shares or the commodity. But I reckon if you get a situation where you made some money owning a gold miner, the price is on a high around all time highs. I think that's a great time to say, wow, I've done well. I'll take my money off the table before the worm turns. Mm -hmm. It generally does. I think it will again. Yep. All right. Yeah, well, that was all well said. I don't need to say anything. <laughs> well, no, I'll, I'll add a couple of things. Uh, one thing I don't understand, it's actually showing uh, 2.23 PE. I don't know whether you, uh, Scott can uh, enlighten me on that, but yeah. it's even got that on the uh, Morningstar printout as well. So oh. I don't understand that because uh, its earnings actually were, it came out with quite a good report. Yeah. Over the 10 years, it's been all over the shop. One of the problems producers yeah. had is that they haven't been consistent if you compare them to, say, uh, Northern Star or even um, Evolution. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it looks really cheap based on that. I don't know. Uh, I, I did have a quick look at their uh, business, and a lot of it's in the Philippines. Yes. They're mining, which is yeah, yeah, politically dangerous. Yep. Yeah, they run hot cold over there on um, Australian miners and so on. And they're also going into much deeper uh, uh, loads now where they're, they're doing a 36-month build-out to put a new... All that stuff's high risk. And it's, it's apparently the geology is challenging as well. So there's plenty of stuff that could go wrong. Right. That could affect their uh, the yields and so on. But, I mean, gold, uh, quite rightly, as Scott said, has been on a, a big tear. I think it's quite logical considering all the massive money printing and you know the yeah. uh, debt forever type stuff. You, you have to say, well, if that's continuing, maybe gold looks more and more like um, stable money. Let's, yeah. call it, let's call it cash. Uh, even Ray Dalio is uh, putting money into in their in some of their funds into physical gold uh, mm. because yeah, as as a cash store, right. not as an investment. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah, that's yeah. valid. So I wouldn't be surprised if gold keeps going up, and who knows? Yep. Yeah, um, yeah. So I quite I quite like gold miners, but I'm an, I'm invested in Northern Stars, the, right. uh, the only one I'm in. Um, and Juice has got a very checkered history. Yeah. Okay, uh, Scott, do you know why its PE is so low? I don't, Kosh, I have to say, not, not uh, when I follow closely, uh, yeah. very much of the case. I well, suppose uh, uh, Mark makes a, makes a good point. We have some great Australian gold miners yeah. onshore that are producing, um, uh, making a lot of cash at the moment and playing good divot, paying good dividends. They're not going out and making stupid investments like they usually do no. uh, <laughs> during a gold boom. So, um, yeah. Scott, you've... You, you stick with the, the tried and true performers? 
I, I think I would like. I, I, Mark mentioned evolution. I also like evolution as an operator. I think if you're going to look, if you want to be in the gold mining space or any commodities, my general view is: firstly, you want to do it when the price is low, and so we've talked about that. And that's why I wouldn't do producer. But secondly, I'd be investing in the businesses that actually have shown operational excellence over time. And for yeah. me, evolution goes to the very top of my list. So if and when I got a chance to look at a gold miner, and I almost bought evolution back in February a couple of years ago, I think it was, because I kind of looked at it and went, "Gee, it's looking pretty cheap now." Stupid man, I didn't do it, uh, and, and could have made a lot of money had I done it. But that, that's that's the way these things go. Uh, the fish that got away. Um, that that you know, you want to buy the great operators because you can't control yeah. the prices. You can control the operations. And frankly, if you're going to put do anything to put the odds in your favour, buy when the commodity is cheap. Firstly, and buy the best operators you can find. Secondly, and as you say, being local. Both by the way, mining Australian dollars has been really really great. Um, but also just simply uh, Australian Australian rules, Australian laws, Australian. Uh, sovereign risk that's not zero by the way but it's probably better than some other countries yeah. so yeah i think if i was yeah. going to evolution we would be the top really good list. point um so but thank you for that suggestion nikki really good analysis there from both mark and scott um mark cameron wants a view on australian foundation investment company this is sort of a uh, a listed investment company yeah. um <clears throat> one of the really old traditional ones has yeah. got incredible history goes back invest in 80 to 100 companies across the range of the market that's right um and uh it doesn't have any debt i mean it's not uh, you know because this is a bit like it's not a managed fund because it's a listed investment yeah. company but yeah it's like that it's a combination of a whole uh, lot of investments so they charge a fee to choose yeah. those for you uh the returns in their uh, their last uh, for f20 were negative uh, 1.67, which no. is not really exciting. No. Uh, and it's on a 31 PE. So the problem I've got with it is, and you're right, it's been a long-standing, solidly-run uh, business. Not, I, mean, I don't have a problem with it. It's just way too expensive. Right. Uh, so we're, we're, we're showing, if I wanted to get a 10% return on it, I couldn't pay more than $3.73 on our calculations, and it's currently right. $6.28. So yeah. the PE is ridiculously high for where it is and what it is. Right. Okay. Scott? Australian investment. Could, oh, Australian foundation. Rude, Mark, but I'll add, I'll add a different perspective, and that is that these guys, generally, I think, and others, tend to, I won't say shadow the index because that feels a bit pejorative, but they tend to buy companies that are already on the index in reasonably similar types of proportions. Now, not exactly, so I don't want to I don't want to draw too fine a, a point on that, but broadly speaking. Now, if you're going to pay an inv listed investment company to manage your money, A, it's a lot of money, and as Mark said, it's expensive. B, kind of, you know, it's not so dissimilar to the index, I gotta wonder why you wouldn't just buy a market ETF and be done with it. Uh, you know, an ASX listed ETF like a Vanguard or a BlackRock. Um, if you want broad market exposure, I think that's a great thing, by the way. If you want to, you know, make sure you can diversify your risk, or you don't want to buy individual stocks, or for whatever reason, you want a diversified approach. You want someone to do it for you, or at least to get the market return. I'd be going for a dirt cheap Vanguard Australian index ETF. Quite frankly, I think that's a much better option. You're not paying a management fee. You're not taking the risk on a on a, on a fund manager. Um, so I, I, I'd go straight past Apex, straight to a, straight to the Vanguard ETF for what it's worth. Um, yeah. I do agree with Mark; it is too expensive in any case. So even if you had a view that you wanted someone to be looking after it and kind of minding the shop, paying th thirty-one odd times earnings, I saw when I did the research yeah. this morning, um, yeah. way too much to pay. I've, I've often thought this with with this because um, it's been going for decades. Mm -hmm. Has a, a bit like with, with Argo. Yeah. Um, and whether ETFs would be cutting their lunch at the moment, because um, ETFs have only been a fairly recent instrument for yep. retail investors, uh, really good way of getting exposure to to, to broad markets um, at a really at a really uh, low management fee. So um, yeah, maybe the ETFs are the the better way to go there, Cameron. Um, Scott Feng uh, wants a view on Virtus Health. Our uh, fifth stock, it's a uh, reproductive technology, specialist pathology and day hospital services, uh, the largest in vitro fertilisation provider in Australia. They are, Koshi, and they're very good at it. The, I like Bertus Health. It's a, it's a buy for me. Let me put that up front. Um, here's the thing. If you, in, the, in the last little while, we've had massive disruption to health services and elective surgery in particular. Now, most of that is back. I think in Victoria, I'm not sure they're all the way back yet, but they certainly had some uh, stops and starts in Victoria when it comes to elective surgery. Over the long term, people are getting older. People are starting families later. There are more people not getting married who want to start families in Australia. That is a really great trio of reasons why Virtus Health is poised to do really, really well. Now, if you look at that share price, the market's still you know, valuing it somewhere around a third less than it was pre-COVID. And I don't know about you, but I don't expect fewer families to be started next year than last year. 
yeah, there might be some short-term issues. There might be some bumps and lumps on the way. There might be some closures and openings. And some people, yeah, absolutely did go past that kind of point of no biological return, if you like, in terms of the biological clock. There are some people who would have missed out on starting families who simply can't go back to it. But the vast bulk of people who wanted a family in February still want a family today. And if they haven't started IVF yet, I'm pretty sure they will at some point. I expect that to continue to trend upwards here. On top of that, not only are they the biggest in Australia, mate, but they have business in Singapore and Ireland. And those are small businesses. I wouldn't actually value those at a whole lot just yet. I'd rather see them as free options, but they are still free options. That would, in other words, there's big upside potential for those businesses. So if you combine the cheap price, the long-term tailwind of simply more people wanting families and that growth potential overseas, it's not a low risk one. Uh, the business has been through some tougher times. Low cost competitors are the biggest risk for Virtus at the moment in Australia. There are lower cost producers by primary, for example, doing it much cheaper. Uh, so it's not going to be a one-way street, but I think the, the trend is right, the trend is behind them. It's a lumpy trend, by the way, because the numbers are still reasonably small. So you do get big monthly, six monthly, even yearly uh, moves backwards and forwards in the trend. But the long-term trend is up, I think, and Virtus looks too cheap to ignore it to buy for me. Okay, all right. So uh, so a buy there thing from uh, from Scott, good company. What do you think? Um, uh, it's okay. Uh, the, the bigger, looking back on it over the last six years, basically, uh, the last six years have been flat to down slowly, so right. they haven't grown their earnings at all. You know, so that's that's not that's less than ideal. Right. And from our point of view, the ROEs now dropped down below ten as well, which means it fails uh, on our filters. Other than that, it looks all right. So if you accept uh, Scott's uh, hypothesis that they they can they have all these opportunities for growth and so on, then that'll all be fine because the PE ratio at the moment sort of at the top of the bottom quartile. Yeah, which is pretty right. cheap. It's on yep. 11, 11 PE, which historically that means it's in a, you know, what well, we class the buy zone, assuming you want to buy it. It went down to $4.78.75 in, uh, in April, March or April when we yep. had the, uh, the drop, yep. which I would have, it would have been much better to buy it then because right. <laughs> the PE then dropped down to, um, uh, where are we, 4.75. Right. So okay. f- for us on our models, if you wanted to get a 10% return based on its numbers, uh, you wouldn't be able to pay more than two dollars sixty-three. Right. So it's not okay. that far away. It's three fifty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's an okay company with good pros, with prospects. Right. But I, I think the last five or six years puts me off a bit because okay. they, they've been going slowly backwards a bit. All right. Which is not good. All right. Uh, Feng, there you go. Good analysis. Let, let's check the first uh, five stocks of the of the ten today, including our stock of the day. Regional Express a no from both Mark and Scott. Uh, Wes Farmers. Uh, a no from Mark Scott saying one of the um, the rare bottom draw type stocks to buy just put it away and, and forget about it. Uh, Medibank Private a no from both NIB if you want to be in that private health space NIB has uh, great management terrific chief executive Scott was saying one of the most underrated chief executives on the market. Uh, Medusa Mining a no uh, from both. If you want to get into gold miners, Evolution and Northern Star, better manage. Australian Foundation Investment, I know you're probably off going, better going for a, a broader ETF if you wanted to follow the index. Um, and Virtus Health, a yes from uh, Scott, a no from Mark. Now, here on the call, we have our own portfolio that we've been tracking since the 1st of July. Now, any stock that gets two ticks from both the experts on the panel, we stick in the portfolio. Let's check in how it's been going. Uh, over the last week, we're down, uh, the portfolio is down one and three quarter percent. Uh, over the last month, it's up five and since the 1st of July, up nine and a half percent. And take a look at some of the stocks that the panels have added recently. Uh, Telstra, Zero, uh, Cleanaway, Brickworks, Aristocrat Leisure, have all made, been added to the portfolio in um, August. Uh, stocks like Auckland International Airport actually got dropped off. If if one of our portfolio comes up for reassessment and doesn't get a unanimous yes, it then drops out. You can check all the stocks we have in the calls portfolio by heading to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. We'll be updating it every day. Uh, make sure you keep watching after 1 p.m when we're joined by the companies that um, you invest in. John Sharp, Deputy Chairman of Rex, who we've just been talking about, uh, released their results this morning, joins us uh, fresh off of the company report there. That's 1pm 
right here on Ausbiz. Uh, let's get into the second half of the call and the first stock uh, for a, a review comes from Ryan Scott. He wants a view on Mervac Group, the big property <coughs> group, which is in property investment, development, retail services, really a broad. Um, would you call a, it's almost like a real estate investment trust now, mm. wouldn't you? Um, yep. What do you think of Mervac? Yeah, it is a real estate investment trust structure, but it does in include the, the management company. So it's kind of like the old Westfield, which was part, yep. re part trust, part, part management company. So it's a bit of both. Um, but, but largely, the, the value of the company is going to come from its, its developed properties, right? So effectively, it's a, it's a managed trust with some upside, I suppose, if you want to put it that way. I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan at the current price. About 15 times earnings. It's not super expensive. But if you think about the changes that are being wrought by COVID, you've got to try and think through what does this mean for the medium term for the way we use property? Now, if you're an industrial big box, you're probably doing really, really well because Australia Post's own numbers show how many parcels we're sending back and forth around the country at the moment. That's going to go really, really well. If you're in that, though, and you're in that kind of residential or even worse, you're in kind of that commercial, whether it's retail or office space, you're going to come under some significant pressure. And I've got to say, I don't love the idea of having assets exposed to that. We saw centres right down. We saw vicinities right down. Um, I think there's more of that to come. And I don't think we need to worry about the non-cash write-downs because they are non-cash. They reflect higher prices paid in the past and maybe they should have or simply that maybe the current environment allows for. If you think about the cash flow from these businesses, the question really is, what does it mean for retail tenancies? What does it mean for office tenancies over the next three, five, 10 years? And I don't know that I expect growth in any of those over that period of time. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a kind of a knee-jerk COVID, everyone's going to work from home, everyone's going to shop from home, no one, no one leaves the house anymore type people, that's not going to happen. But you don't need that much to happen. You know, the difference between success and failure in retail is a couple of percent either way. If you can grow at two or three percent, you do well. If you decline at two or three percent, you're in jeopardy. And for retail property trusts, they're not that close to the line, but they're not miles away either. If their occupancy falls by three or four percentage points from 95, 97 down to low 90s, maybe even less, that's a real problem. If you think about the closures of the big W stores, the closures of the Target stores, uh, DJs and Maya themselves are in a world of hurt. I don't want to be a retail landlord right now. And so to the extent they're in that, I don't want to do that. And then office work, again, same thing. You know, it doesn't have to be a wholesale change, but if three, five, 10, 15% of us work a little bit more from home or a little bit more away from the office, what does that do to CBD office rents? I don't want to paint a, a really bleak picture. I just don't think that given that the stock isn't super cheap, uh, 15 times earnings, probably reasonably fair, but I think we're in a less than fair environment. And I think that's not going to change for the next little while, at least half a decade, probably. And so in that environment, I don't think I want to be anywhere near property generally. Um, I don't have a particular view on as an individual company within that. Um, the fact it's diversified is kind of better than being wholly in retail or wholly in office, uh, but I don't think it's enough and I'd, I'd simply give it a miss. Okay. All right. And uh, in the, the last results, Mark, they what wrote off $86 million uh, from project write-offs, $32 million uh, from delayed development and settlements too. So. Yeah, well, I, I, I sort of concur with uh, Scott, but I'd be a little bit more negative on the outlook for, uh, right. uh, for uh, rents. Because if you look at there's been a shift, bit of a shift in power from, from the landlords to the retailers and yep. because of COVID. Yep. And uh, I know, I know Cedar Group's pushing back now and locking out uh, Mosaic, Mosaic. and so on. But, but a lot of these groups have done significant reductions in uh, the number of sites. And I know with Flight Centre, you know, 60% they've dropped. There's, so there's a wholesale reduction of number of sites of the major players. Yep. How can that be anything else other than a really big negative on uh, if you're yep. a, a shopping centre REIT? Yep. So, uh, and then of course, it's not just that, it's also the, the pushing down of rents. So they've always worked on the basis, like kind of with Centre Group, their starting position on the rent reviews is inflation plus 2%. Right. Always. So they've been going up at 2% above inflation for years and years and years. That's now going in reverse big time because it's been unsustainable for a long time. Yep. And I think uh, you know, the evidence is out there that uh, they're under enormous pressure, not just them, but uh, anybody in the area, yep. except for big box. Yeah. Uh, uh, type distribution. It's a really interesting tussle, as you say, because Centre Group did lock Mosaic out. Yeah. Then they reopened them yeah. after they came with a, another rent deal. They yeah. negotiated a rent deal. I would love to know what that is. Yeah. That was, they are well, all down, though. Yeah. That's yeah, the thing. Yeah. None of them are going right. up. They're actually, actually down how much. dollars. But then, you know, they're saying, you've got to pay your rents, but then also... They don't want empty stalls in the shopping centre because no. that is a bad look. Well, it's a cancer eventually. If you get too many, exactly right. Yeah. So it's an interesting balance there yeah. at the moment. And they've got the so the headwinds are significant. 
Yeah. And I think Maya's precarious. You know, so yes. you know, if they you start losing major anchor tenants, yeah. Yeah, you know, wow. Yeah. You know, there'll be there has to be a rationalization of malls in that yep. case. And yep. that's happening in the US. A lot yep. of them are being bulldozed. Okay. Oh you know, wow. Yeah, they're literally you know, they get to a point where it's not viable anymore and you, you, yep. you go back and say what's best what's the best uh, use of the land? Yep. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I know I'm Mervac, but uh, Mark, speaking of retail, uh, one of those big retail groups, of course, is Accent Group. Yep. They're, they're in the, the retail and distribution of, um, of footwear. Yep. 420 stores, 10 different brands like Athletes Foot, uh, Merrill, Hype, Vans, and yep. they've got a, uh, a new discount sort of brand called Pivot that they're launching as well. So, that's right. so they're another, rather than a shopping centre, they're yeah. a tenant, the other side. That's of right, that's right. And they, of course, yeah, they, they have been emboldened to renegotiate their leases. Yeah. Exit Group had a much lower, shorter profile of their average lease terms as well oh. uh, than some others. You know, oh. So uh, they, if you look at their debt... Well, that's now, important to know. Well, like, I think the retail. If you look at uh, Nick Scarley, you know, which yeah. is a great business as well, their debt's now jumped to 200% because of the new accounting standards where leases are, have to be oh. uh, capitalised as debt. Right. Which you know you can argue whether it's a good thing or bad. Yep. It's a reality. Yeah. Uh, Accent Group's gone from twenty-one percent debt to ninety-eight, so had mm. nowhere near as much uh, overall tenure of uh, lease liability than say Nick Scarley. Now they're yep. both quality businesses. AX One came out with a very good uh, report, so their their earnings were up, and they've they've averaged sixteen percent EPS growth for the last six years. Right. With very high stability. This is a fantastic yep. business. Yeah. So uh, I'm yep. a shareholder. Right. So got, okay. Got, I have confirmation bias. <laughs> okay. And I bought some down at you know, 60 and 70 percent in April, which is terrific. I wish I'd bought yep. more. Uh, I feel I still think it's really cheap. So currently okay. on a dollar 59 on a 14 PE, and we're showing it returning 23 uh, percent uh, per year if they can continue. Now there is a bit of a question now when the JobKeeper payments come off and so on. There might be a little bit of a lull in the next period. Right. But, uh, but also their on on their online business has grown very strongly as well. So. They've really capitalised on that with fast deliveries and so on. Right. So that's, okay. that's become a much more significant part of the business for them. Yeah. I don't know how many stores they've got rid of. You know, within the uh, with this rent stuff, I'm not up on that one. But right. uh, very good management, and you've got Brett Blundy in there who is a billionaire from retail in Australia, yeah. from bras and things and sanity, and he put 100 million cash into this business about 10 uh, a year oh. ago. Okay. So, um, so happy, happy round, that, round that dollar sixty. Uh, well, absolutely. Because well, if you can get 23 percent return, yeah. it's 15 percent on a margin safety, which is from our point of view, it's probably one of the only companies that we have in Team Invest that right. is above ten percent on a margin safety. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, in their in their recent annual announcement, they said they plan to open for a net forty new stores this right. year. So, yep. you know, it's still still expanding. Uh, Scott, what do you think of Accent? I agree with Mark. I think it's a really good business. Having done a really good job so far, I have no, there's nothing to quibble about in the performance of the operations. Uh, and Mark knows better than I. He's a shareholder, so I, I happily bow to his better judgment. If I was to be concerned about anything, it would be related to the retail conversation we just had, which is to how many stores can they maintain? Should they maintain moving forward? Also, kind of an open question, and Mark may have a view on this, but just about the kind of the you know anything in retail is tough if it's kind of fashion or trend related. Um, it would be the first business to be cool for a while than not cool and trying to desperately recover that 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 cool factor um again i have no view about where accent is on that on that store so i'd, I'd be i'd be thoughtful about that i'd be mindful of that i don't think it would stop me buying at the current price i'll mark me down as a buy if this one koshi um but uh, you know I, I just i would be a little bit cautious when i owned it as i owned it if i owned it uh to make sure that the business continues to go well and there aren't deterior there isn't deterioration of either store numbers which hurt sales or the brands themselves, which start to make people question, are we moving on to something else? It wasn't that long ago that, you know, remember Air Reeboks and Nike pumps or was it the other way around? <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're, we're the cool thing, Converse shoes were the cool thing. Uh, I'm showing my age. You know what I mean? Everything moves yeah. on at some point. So just keeping a watchful eye over any retailer in the fashion space, super important once you own the shares. Yeah, they've got they've got a big range of brands. It's a very well. They have and they control a lot of them. So there's quite a lot right. of the brands they have. They have the distribution rights exclusively in Australia. So they also wholesale. Right. So they said to us like they could have a situation where in a shopping centre there's three other shoe shops, but they supply them. Right. Yeah. So they, okay. they they've, they've got quite a lot of depth in it. And I think mm. going to Scott's point, it's a good point. Um, the, what what AX One do is they uh, if a particular brand's not doing well in a shopping centre, they swap it out for another one. So they change the shop. So if it's a Merrill shop, they'll turn it into a Sakoni shop. Or something. So they've got such a they've got a, such a portfolio of brands. Right. They've got a lot of flexibility, which oh, I think smart. gives them quite a lot of insurance in how they operate. Yeah, that's it's really good. smart. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, you're happy to buy it, Scott? Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think yep. at the current price, pretty good to buy, and the performance Excellent. of the business justifies that. 
Right. We'll add that to the uh, the calls portfolio too. Oh, we'll keep monitoring that'll, that'll be the Excellent. first one in the portfolio that I like then. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, our uh, next uh, uh, Scott Francesca wants a view on uh, Janice Henderson, which is the uh, uh, the big uh, global asset management group based in in London in the UK as well. What, what do you think of them? I don't tend to love funds managers, Koshy, but this one really piqued my interest when the question came up. I haven't looked at it for a little while. The first thing that stuck out to me is the PE is 8.8 times. Now, if you had a fund manager for eight times earnings, that's a pretty good starting point. Now, I dug a little bit deeper. They are suffering some fund outflows. Now, the real concern, of course, we know that, that fund managers make their money two ways. They make them by rising asset prices and they make them on performance. If you get the performance, not only do you get a little performance fee, but you get to keep the money and hopefully attract more. So fund inflows from clients and the rising prices across the board in markets both really help to pump up an asset manager's performance. The reverse though is also true. If you don't perform and you start to lose some mandates, funds flow out, that's a big flow to try and staunch to try and keep your PL in shape. Now, it's the latter that seems to be seeing the shares sell off. I have to say, despite that though, at 8.8 .8 times earnings, it has to do a lot wrong before it's even reasonably uh, overvalued, I think. Um, even if, you know, if fund, funds fall by a third, mm -hmm. PE goes to 12. Again, not, not all will be equal, but let's just, let's just kind of draw some lines there. Um, you know, it, it's going to do a lot wrong before it gets something right. And these things tend to mean revert over time. I think I'd probably be buying Janice Henderson um, cautiously and, and mindfully. Again, there's always reasons to be careful once you bought something and work out when you'd sell. If they can't staunch those farm outflows, if they do have ongoing performance issues, then maybe this is a busted thesis. But I have to say 8.8 .8 times earnings, if, and I think when, funds continue to grow because people invest and the markets go higher, if you can get a fund manager for eight times earnings, more often than not, you'll do well. Whether Janice works out that way is obviously an open question, mm. but I'd be more than happy to say across the board, as a matter of course, the more fund managers you bought at eight times, the more money you'd make. And so I'll give this one a tick. Okay. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, interesting. It's one we looked at uh, actually back in, I think it was 2016, it passed our filters and we did a full analysis on it. Yeah. And at the time it was about $60. So, you know, that's more than double where it is now. And it was on a, on a I think the PE was 24 or something like that. So it was, it was way too expensive. But what yeah. we didn't like about it was it's about three times the size of Magellan. So they've got 370 billion under management. Magellan's about 100 billion. Right. Magellan, I think, had 102 staff. These guys had two and a half thousand. Wow. So it's a heavy business. It also merged. Janus was the US business. So Henderson yeah. was the old AMP business. Yep. If anyone's wondering why we're looking at a company that's uh, dual listed for the UK, because yeah. AMP used to own that's it. That's the reason. And they yeah. ran it into the ground. So it was a dog for AMP. But AMP has done that with every single business I think they've ever bought. <laughs> and then right. once they released it, it actually started doing a lot better. Right. And then they merged with Jana, so there's two lots of management, two lots of everything. Right. I don't know whether that's washed through the system yet, you know, because yeah. it was pretty fat. Yeah. Uh, but I agree with Scott. It actually looks very cheap at the current PE, and the return based on that, uh, we're showing it returning about 25% a year on default mm, and 12 on good. a margin of safety. So it does look quite cheap, and uh, it may reappear. No, it won't reappear because the ROE is at 8.8, .8, so it still fails right. overall for us. Right. Okay. But I think, so yeah, I, I, I concur with Scott. I think it's probably the, the risk. Reward is probably pretty good. Okay. All right. But but a no from under yeah. team invest yeah. filters. Yeah. Um, Sam has um, thrown up an interesting business that I didn't know much about. ICS Global uh, operates in the UK medical billing and collections uh, space for medical consultants. Uh, over 20 years it's been there. So basically, um, is it a platform for medicos in the UK to, to run their practice, Mark? Um, um, yes, I've never seen it before. This is a no. $20 million market cap. Right, okay. Right, so, so it's a micro, it's a micro yeah. cap. Yeah. Um, I, I had a look at it. It actually, I mean, you'd think that'd be a good growth area. You know, yeah. <laughs> it, it sort of fits in the IT uh, area, which means it could have a, a higher PE. It's on about a 16 PE. Yeah. Its growth rate's been about 4.8%. Uh, over the last look at that chart, it doesn't trade much by the look of it either. Well, that, that, those straight lines mean virtually no no trades. No on, trade on, at yes. all, yeah. <laughs> One or something. So this is very very illiquid. It it grew quite convincingly to 2016, then dropped heavily, and then it's been growing again. So it's ah. sort of two, you know, like a what do you call that? Like a, a Z on a on a on a uh, platform. Um, it's too expensive though. We're we're showing it. Um, uh, at the moment, returning uh, where are we? Uh, Twelve percent on default and about five percent on a margin of safety. Right. And uh, it's a dollar ninety-three. I reckon you need to buy it for about dollar sixty. 
Right. If you wanted okay. to get 10% yeah. on a margin of safety. But bear in mind, this has very little uh, or virtually no liquidity. Right. Which okay. means you'll, and you'll you struggle to buy it or sell it, particularly yeah. sell it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Scott, what do you think of uh, ICS? Yeah, it's a good one to mention. I think we talked about this before and we'll probably do it again. But when it comes to businesses, the first thing you really need to ask is, can I get in and get out at a reasonable price? And does it have the, does, is it literally just a business that I want to own on that basis? And so that almost, we very rarely ask that as the first question because most of the companies we talk about don't need that question asked. Um, as Mark's already mentioned, super low liquidity, $20 million market cap. Um, just really, really too small. I, I wouldn't buy this stock unless you either really want to have a complete punt or you're a super long-term shareholder and deeply believed in the thesis because the chance you get in and then back out at decent prices, uh, the, the odds are long just anyway, um, but they're longer the shorter your time period is. So the longer you can hold, the better chance you've got of getting the price you want both in and out, but that means you've got to hope the business continues to perform the way you expect while it's on the uh, while it's in, your, in your portfolio, right? So that's that's a pretty risky one. Look, I'm not a short-term trader anyway. My average holding period is in years, um, but it's not me starting to go wrong with the company I own. I want to be able to get out. If I couldn't with ICS Global, I'd probably kick myself and say, what did I do? So our viewers should keep that in mind. Um, it's not it's not 17 times earnings. It's not super expensive. But again, the, the sheer tiny size of it means you should be aware and ready for a huge range of outcomes. Um, it just doesn't do enough for me to really justify making the speculation. There's not obvious super growth there. Um, in terms of long-term growth in particular, small numbers to start with, right? So easy to go from one to two, harder to go from 10 to 20. Uh, and so, you know, early growth is always looks impressive percentage-wise, but oh. look, keep an eye on it. It's one that if you do get some decent momentum and they are signing up some decent customers, you do want to be aware of this one because as it starts to move, don't jump on just because the share price is moving, by the way, but as the business starts to perform, if you're aware of it early and you're ready to buy shares early when it starts to prove itself out, then fantastic. So this is definitely one for the watch list, not one I'd be buying at the moment, though. Okay. All right, Sam. Uh, it's, been it's been listed for 21 years. Oh, wow. just by the way. Yeah. Okay. So it's so not a new, you know, that's no. a long time you know, to, be, to get business. to where they are now. That's not very exciting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Sam, thanks for bringing it to our attention. That's uh, that's a good company for us to look at. Um, and our final stock for review, uh, Scott is suggested by Kelly, uh, packaging giant Amcor. Did a, a pretty good uh, recent profit results up 42%. Uh, but that included a big acquisition in uh, in the United States. Um, what do you think of Amcor? I think the acquisition of these new US businesses makes these companies really fascinating to kind of watch and follow. They're not the first one to make decent US acquisitions. And at a time when people are worried about other countries buying all of our stuff, um, plenty of Australian businesses going overseas, in particular the US, by the way, and, and make, doing some deals. Um, Boral, of course, is one of them. Visi itself and in the packaging business is another one. I don't love packaging businesses, Koshi. They tend not to be super um, price makers. They tend to be price takers, generally speaking. They're desperately trying to differentiate themselves to find a way to charge a little bit more, make a little bit more margin. Um, I'm not convinced, frankly, that that is the case with Amcor. I'm not convinced with the long-term potential for that to continue to, to be the case. Now, doing a great job, right? If you're, if you're making cardboard boxes, again, we talked about Australia Post before we talked about um, you know, bulky goods retail. Um, you know, if you're making cardboard boxes, you, you can't not make money at the moment. So let's put that in the diary. But I, I just, I don't see the, the, the fundamental perspective, sorry, of this company, given the price is not super cheap. At a price, maybe it's worth buying. It just isn't cheap enough. It's not attractive enough. It's not going to grow enough, I don't think. And I think margins will remain under pressure, if not from day to day, month to month, certainly from year to year, just because anyone can make a cardboard box. And again, I'm being deliberately basic on this one. I know there is technology and there's reasons why some things are different to others. Um, but as Ansel have found out, for example, in gloves, they get like a six month lead time before their competitors find a way to make the same glove or apron or, or whatever it is they're making. It's yeah. just not that hard to reverse engineer these things. And so that means for mine, Amcor's pressures remain forever under pressure and they're on the treadmill just to stand still. So okay. look, as an income investor, probably one to have a look at if you wanted to income outside the big banks, Telstra, um, maybe Amcor's one you want considering your portfolio. But if you're looking to beat the market, I think Amcor's a long shot. Okay. Um, yeah, I agree with all that. I don't like it. Uh, the, for the same reasons Scott mentioned, if you look at it for 10 years history, it's actually, um, it's, it's EPS was 42 cents back in 2011. And it was now 79 cents. Like, yeah. you know, that's really exciting. Yep. Not even double <laughs> right. in 10 years. Uh, return on equity has been all over the shop, but it's about, that, that's okay. It's about 17% at the moment. Net profit margin, 6%. So it's got quite a small profit margin. Sales are flat as well. So apart from the last year for F20, where it's had a kick up yep. uh, and argued to With that Corona. Yeah, apart yep. from that, it's been flat. 
right. for 10 years. Like 10 okay. years, no growth. Right. So that's okay because yep. we like stability. So yep. if I can say there's no growth and I know that and I'm going to say going forward there's going to be no growth, then I can price it. Right. And at the moment, uh, it's on a 20 PE, which for no growth or negative actually was minus 1.87 last year, last right. year is terrible. Right. So that gives us a negative out return. So it's showing for us about negative 2% a year over the next five years if they just continue doing what they're doing and they've been really stable sure. at doing not, doing not, not much. Yep. So if you wanted to get 10%, you couldn't pay more than $9.30 and it's currently $15. Okay, so, so that's about way half, off that. So far off. Yep. And that, the PE then would come down to about, say, 10 or yep. 11, which then, then, reasonable. then it's reasonable because right. it's reliable and you yep. can get a decent return you know, based on uh, a no-growth strategy. Now, if they right. turn that around and start growing, well, it's going to be a first. Yep. Because yep. I haven't done it for the last decade. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kelly, thank you for that suggestion. Let's just recap our, um, our final five stocks. Mervac, uh, a no from both Mark and Scott. Accent Group was already in the, uh, the calls portfolio, oh. so it's now been verified by a different panel, still with two ticks, so stays in the calls portfolio. Uh, Janice Henderson uh, doesn't make the team invest filters, but... Um, Scott's saying it's on a reasonable PE at the moment, yeah. worth looking at. Uh, ICS Global uh, on the watch list, but really small uh, at the moment. And Amcora, no, but Scott um, really saying if you're a yield investor um, and you want an alternative to the big banks or Telstra, then that might be attractive for you. So Mark Morland uh, from Team Invest, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Great to have you here. My pleasure. Uh, Scott Phillips from Motley Falls. Scott. Uh, enjoy the country life and uh, look forward to, to seeing you next time. Well, thanks, Koshi. Thanks, Mark. Good on you. See you later, All right, that's our show for today. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, uh, flick us an email the call at ausbiz.com.au or you can tweet us using the at TV handle. A reminder where to find all the stocks we have in the calls portfolio, head to ausbiz.co uh, slash portfolio. Now, before we head to a very short break, Get the latest from our team straight into your inbox every day. Sign up for the COB, the stuff you need to know about the day in business, finance and startups. Uh, Scuddy and Nadine bring it to you every day. Subscribe at ausbiz.co slash join. We'll have it in your inbox by 5.30 p.m. Eastern every Monday to Friday. And if you're looking for your next investment, then tune in to the Startup Daily Show. Every day the team brings you the companies seeking capital and all the latest in the startup and tech sector. Uh, today we're joined by the co-founders of Circle Inc, Jody Geddes and Kate Pollard, who created a platform to support working parents. That's only on Ausbiz, the Startup Daily Show, 2 to 3 p.m. That's it from me. Enjoy the rest of your day. A lot more of Ausbiz coming up. Stick around. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.